0: All right, now here's part two of Track Talk, Charlie Watt's Style and Analysis. I hope you're digging it so far. I really appreciate you watching. Enjoy. See you on the other side. Anyway, we're going to move on to Exile on Main Street. I'm going to play Tumbling Dice, an absolute favorite song of mine. Um, This is a pretty special song. And a couple of things I just want to point out. When I, when I bought the 45 in the summer of 1972, when this song was on the radio, when this record came out, I bought the 45 for Tumbling Dice. And I'm not kidding you, I'm not making this up, and you people that know me know I'm kind of a nutball when it comes to this stuff. Um, but I could swear that I heard um, what sounded like flaming in the song, but I didn't really know what flaming was. I was just learning how to play the drums. I didn't, I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but it sounded like there's something odd with the beat, with the snare drum beat, the backbeat. It seemed to almost sort of skip. Like it wasn't always, wasn't always a solid beat. It almost had a, well, what we now call a, what we know is a flam. Um, so of course in recent years, we've learned that it's Jimmy Miller and Charlie Watts playing, uh, They doubled up the drum track. Uh, As the story goes, I never got the full story from Charlie that Jimmy plays the end of it. Um, So I'm not sure if Jimmy played the basic track and Charlie overdubbed on top of that, or if Charlie played the basic track and Jimmy Miller came in and played the end of it. I'm not sure how they would have done that back then. But in any case, it's both Charlie and Jimmy Miller. Um, The drum fills... Certainly, in the middle of it, during the instrumental, and during the, the transition from the verse to the chorus, they sound like classic Charlie fills. So I'm I'm going to go with that. Those are those are Charlie fills. I mean, there's there's Jimmy was a fine fine drummer and could probably do a great Charlie imitation, but um, but I but I you know I know that's Charlie playing those fills. But what I'm going to do I've, I just took a minute bef- before I started today just made a couple of notes. And you might not be able to follow along because of the lag that we're having while I stream this to you. But listen at home. If you have this, I'm sure you have this song uh, in your library. As early as six seconds into this song, you're going to hear a flam. Six seconds. You'll hear another one at about nine seconds. And then another one at about 56 seconds. So write that down if you think of it. Six seconds, nine seconds, about 56 and then even more toward the end too. Um, and it's, if, if nothing else, it's just really cool to dig in deep like this, to hear these kinds of things that, um, you know, crazy people like me like to listen to. So check it out. This is, uh, to me, the crown jewel of exile on main street. It's a masterpiece. Legend has it that, uh, it took them, you know, like 150 takes to get this right. Uh, they had a lot of things working against him in those days. Uh, the least of which was not the least of which I should say was the fact they were recording it in Keith's basement in uh, in France in the South of France. People were coming and going at different times. Bill and Charlie were both staying, you know, hours away. So when Keith decided to record and he would just basically grab who, whoever was available to record. So that's why you see Mick Taylor playing bass on a number of songs, Jimmy Miller's on happy and shine a light. Um, purely because Charlie wasn't there when they, when they just pressed go, uh, Keith had the idea. Let's, let's go, let's record. And um, uh, yeah. So this song in particular is Mick Taylor on bass and uh, Keith, I believe is playing all the guitars. Mick Taylor may have overdubbed a guitar, but it's Keith playing the, the solo in the middle. Uh, which was kind of rare back then. By 1971, Mick Taylor was really the the lead guitarist in the band when they recorded this in the summer of 71. Um, Mick was really the sort of de facto lead guitar player, but Keith, such a soulful, amazing musician, you know, had a riff in his head and played it. So this is the masterpiece we know as Tumbling Dice. the floor tom like down
1: should
0: we idea of the double drums was genius because it thickens up the sound so much. And now when I hear that song, you know, when you hear it live, it, it's, it's great, but it, you can hear the difference between one drum track and two drum tracks in my ears. Anyway, it sounds great live. I've heard it a million times live, but when you hear the studio version, The drum sound, you know, just so thick and full that only really layering two tracks together can do. And the other thing I should have mentioned ahead of time to listen for, but you can all go back and listen to it another time, is this song is a great example of Charlie's push and pull, the way he makes the time sort of feel like it's pushing forward, but it's either really right on the beat or even a little behind the beat. And the way he does that is he plays the hi-hat, well, right-handed, plays the hi-hat and he opens and closes it with his foot. So he plays that airy... And it creates this elastic push-pull feel to the tune. Um, That song and the song Rocks Off, also on Exile and Main Street, many others, but those two songs really stand out on this record. You can hear him playing just straight eighth notes in the hi-hat and then opening and closing it very subtly. They're not real big hi-hat barks like he does in Angie and some of these other songs. It's just a, it's almost like he's just playing the time with his foot, you know, little quarter notes with his foot just to open and close the hi-hat. And it just gives it like a seesaw feeling. Incredible. You can't, you know, you, you really can't copy Charlie's feel. You can, you can do your best to, to cop it, but, um, you know, there's just, there's way too much of just Charlie's juju and mojo involved to really uh ever really kind of get it exactly right. Uh, that's, that's how I feel anyway, as someone who's certainly tried. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Charlie and Jimmy Miller both playing drums at the same time. Absolutely. Um All right. So we're going to move on here. I'm going to just take a look. I know I, I'm kind of going around here. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of this next song. It's a it's a great groovy song from Exile on Main Street. It's a you know it's it's a little bit of a um, departure from what the kind of beats that Charlie usually plays. But nevertheless, it's a it's a classic. It's ventilator, ventilator blues, and my understanding is that Bobby Keys helped Charlie, uh, you know, get the get the time, get the groove for this. Charlie wasn't really following what Keith was looking for uh, when they were doing this song. And again, anybody who knows the story better, please feel free to chime in. But um, I'm going to just play a little bit of this song to keep things moving ahead. But it's uh, it's worth giving a listen to. Pentelated Blues, pretty greasy. Linky,
1: when you smile, is cracking and you'll hang, they shake. Horror is in your butts don't break. One must cuss it. And, and
0: this is a great example of Charlie playing behind the beat. Just a little, just a little behind it. All you drummers listening, watching, know what I'm talking about. He just sits back. All right, I'm sorry to cut this one off. I'm going to just move on to another track that I wasn't going to play, but I am going to play now. Um, just ahead of it, I want to just say, check out um, the push-pull thing I was talking about with Charlie playing the, the, um, the hi-hat, opening and closing his foot. About the first and second verse, you can really hear it. All right, so and this song is Rocks Off. From Exile on Main Street. It's the first song on the record. If you if you know the record, you know. Um, incredible album track. They play it live sometimes. And uh, again, just dig the sound of his drums. This, this is probably the song that really hooked me. Um, hearing this record, hearing this song, the sound of his snare drum, his bass drum. Sounds ridiculous on this. It just sounds so open and full and just full of tone. And uh, I just love the way they recorded it. It's boomy. It's what a bass drum is supposed to sound like, you know? It's not thuddy and dead. <laughs> so check it out. But also give a listen, all you drummers with critical ears and all you other folks, civilians out there, give a listen to the hi-hat, and you can hear these little places where he's opening and closing his foot during the groove, and you just feel... it's the, the time is not moving. It's not shifting. It's not speeding up or slowing down. It's just... It's just more elastic. It's, this is the only way I can explain it. It just, it just really breathes. So here's rocks off. You're just going to have to listen to your own version of that song to hear the rest of it. Um, I'm going to move on to my last song from Exile on Main Street, but there's plenty more great songs on that record, no doubt. Um, my all-time favorite Rolling Stones song, I guess if I had to pick one, this is it. Um, this song is, again, another example of that that Charlie sort of push-pull thing that he does with the hi-hat. Um, this song just, again, really speaks to me. He stretches out a lot in it. He sets up the verses, the choruses. He puts in these great fills that just stay out. There's, they're great fills, but they stay out of the way of the rest of the band. Um, it's to me, it's a perfect drum track. And, you know, as, as we learn more about the recording process back in those days, you know, you couldn't, I have some great drummers watching right now that could attest to this that, that work in the studio all the time and, you know, you can you can nowadays go in and fix anything. You can you can punch this in. You can re-record that. You can you can Pro Tools in a new part. Uh, when the Stones were recording these records, it, if you you had to go with a good take. And uh, I think the the point I'm making is that this song, uh, and this version that we hear, there's been other alternate versions of this song and, and all these other Rolling Stones releases, but every time you hear it, it has the same rhythm track because this was such a great take. They never veered away from this rhythm track. Charlie's, you know, drum track, Bill Wyman's bass track, um, Phil's at the end, Carrie. Yes, 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 Don, sorry, Don McCauley. Chiming in with a very good point about the end of uh, Rocks Off. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm going back to uh, All Down the Line. I saw Don, I got distracted, sorry. Uh, all Down the Line, you know, this this to me, it, it demonstrates the fact that it's, it's as perfect a drum track as there ever could be. And, um, you know, this song just is just a, I, I could listen to it a hundred times every day and never get sick of it. So check it out. coming up right here. a great song if you've seen the stones in recent years you know they extend that ending quite a bit and it's uh it's really cool to hear them just stretch it and go and um i know that was one of charlie's favorite songs i remember talking with him about it and telling him it was my favorite song and he you know as humble as he as he always was he you know you know he'd say something like yeah you know that's a good one yeah that's a good one you know um but uh yeah all down the line man great great song i remember seeing that for the scene to do that live on the ladies and gentlemen it's the rolling stones movie and uh with Mick taylor in the band and it was you can see that on youtube it's just unbelievable that version of it it's it's like on fire basically all right gonna wrap things up in a few more minutes here gonna keep moving along i'm gonna jump away for a minute and play a little surprise song that i think some people know uh It's Charlie. Some might not know. It's kind of interesting, though, that uh, this next song and the artist that wrote this song, uh, if you go backwards a second, 1974, we know that Kenny Jones came in to play a demo version of It's Only Rock and Roll, But I Like It and ended up making it on the record. And that's what you hear now on the song is Kenny. And then Kenny later goes on to play with The Who. He was in The Faces at the time. But after the untimely passing of Keith Moon, Kenny goes on to join The Who as their drummer. That was in 1978. In 1976, the leader of The Who, none other than Pete Townsend, put out a solo record with Ronnie Lane and had Charlie record on it. And uh, this song, I'll just set this up by saying, I'd heard this song on the radio. This would have been about, well, I've heard it many times, but the last time I saw Charlie in person was the Rolling Stones show at uh, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Mass., in July 2019. Uh, my buddy Don McCauley, of course, was there and, and so accommodating, as always. Um, so that was the last time I saw Charlie, and I had just heard the song on the radio a few days before that. and it, And it got me thinking about it again. I remembered it from when it was on the radio as a kid. So I downloaded it and I was listening to it a lot. And I said to Charlie that night at the gig, you know, I've been listening to My Baby Gives It Away uh, by P. Townsend. And he had this big smile on his face and he didn't do that often. And he said, that's a, that's a great song. Yeah. That's, that's a, that was a fun one. That's a good one. And Don McCauley and anybody that knew Charlie would tell you that, that takes a lot for him to ever, um, you know, make any sort of uh, positive comment about anything he's done. He was just so humble. And I think he was very proud of that song. So anyway, this this is a, a great song uh, where Charlie steps out of his sort of comfort zone, so to speak. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm sure he's very comfortable. I know Pete Townsend absolutely loved Charlie, adored him, as did everybody. And uh, here's Charlie lending his talents to Pete Townsend and Ronnie Lane. Charlie in the hi-hat there just
1: My baby rich in a day eighth the day steady eight notes
0: gets the last word into, of course, man, what a great song. Yeah. I was digging it. Um, you know, and, and I, I, to me again, that's another example of Charlie definitely not playing behind the beat, just playing, you know, really on the beat, um, driving the song, grooving a couple of people commented on the hi-hat work. I mean, to me, that that's, that's just pure beauty when, when you can just play it so clean and steady and just everything just kind of fits around it. You know, he's just, he laid down this beautiful foundation and everybody just sort of fit around it, uh, built on top of it. It's great. Fantastic. Uh Yeah. Following Pete like he followed Keith. Absolutely. Got a couple more songs and I'm going to jump ahead this, you know, and the other thing I wanted to point out, I think people make this assumption about Charlie's playing that he, you know, the, the, the bit where he, doesn't play the last note on the hi-hat on, he doesn't, lifts on four when he's playing, uh, you know, eighth notes on the hi-hat. That was something he didn't, by my estimation, did not start doing until the late 70s, maybe even the early 80s. But I, I'd say at the earliest, it was the late 70s. In the 60s and in the 70s, you saw him playing straight eighth notes on, you know, on a song like that. He'd be playing. He wasn't lifting off. And and I, I only say that because uh, I think I've heard some people um, be critical of that for whatever reason. The reason that he does that, um, if you were to ask him that, I don't know that he could really give you an answer. I've heard different answers or people claim he's given different answers. I know that he had said that he thought he had seen Jim Keltner doing it and he got the idea from Jim Keltner. And Jim Keltner said he got the idea of doing it from Levon Helm. and I've spoken to Jim Keltner about it as well. So I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Late seventies. And, but anyway, I'm I'm only making that point that a lot of these records are really everything we've listened to up till now for what it's worth. If it even matters to you, um, Charlie was playing, you know, the way that uh, all of us drummers play, uh, you know, kind of the standard eighth note pattern, not lifting on four, and just playing it right through. So the whole idea, I think people have this misconception that sometime back in the sixties, he came up with this idea to lift off on four so that the backbeat was more pronounced. It certainly helped achieve that when he did decide to do that, but that was not why he did that. I, at least I don't think so. I think it was just a habit that maybe he developed at a point and, or he had seen Jim Keltner or Levon Helm or someone do it and he just started doing it. But, um, Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. This next song I'm going to play jumps forward a little bit. Um, I'm not, I'm not really going to get too into recent Rolling Stones songs. I only have so much time here, but, uh, this song is a, is a, is a great song. And it's maybe unknown by a lot of people because it was not a hit. It's an album track. It's from Steel Wheels, 1989. And what's interesting is, you know, this was their first record after they took a pretty long break. There was a question as to whether they'd ever return again. You know, they had a lot of uh, disharmony in the 80s, Mick and Keith. They patched things up and they did this great record in 1989, Steel Wheels. Huge tour, one of the biggest tours ever. And um, and so this song is from that. And, and I chose this song because I love the song, first of all. And it's a another great example of Charlie's driving groove. I think you could say on this song he's playing uh on top of the beat. He's certainly not playing behind the beat and uh, i again I invite all my invite all my drummer friends to comment and give me their thoughts on it. but he drives a song and this is this is at a time when by the eighties, really even the late seventies you could argue, but certainly the eighties. Charlie had switched his style somewhat to play more of a four in the floor approach on the bass drum uh he had pretty much you know i think for economics he was he was looking to just get more drive out of a song and by doing you know just straight quarter notes on, on with his bass drum, he could achieve that more of a of a driving rhythm and he kind of you know there were still songs where he plays you know the standard boom zap boom boom. But this is, uh, this is this is this is an example of him really you know driving the song with those four in the floor bass drum parts and uh and really pushing the, the song along. So here it comes sad, sad, sad. Got hear his the space drum the dollar drown me out say say Here he drops in these single beats, these single crashes, They're just gonna land like bombs. Boom! In a good way. So if you don't know that song, it's on Steel Wheels. It's the first song. So definitely pick that record up. It's a great record. Um, I'm going to play one more song. I'm going to jump backwards uh, in time here. And uh the song celebrates its 50th birthday this year. Uh to me, it's a it's a a beautiful, elegant song that uh I, I chose this as the last song to I think really emphasize just how Charlie had the the ability like Ringo and like, you know, all these great drummers, Steve Gad, Jeff Beccaro, Jody Cortez, who's watching right now, uh, Rick Marata, all these legendary drummers. I could go on and on. Jim Keltner that, that played for the song. They, they played parts that complemented what was happening around them. They didn't play fills and things because they wanted to play those fills, You know to please themselves they pick places to put things and oftentimes they left left things wide open put nothing in there um you know it seems like a simple thing but I, i feel like it's kind of a lost art in many ways that that um you know that that drummers i think it takes certain drummers to get to a point in their life where they understand this Charlie had had the great instinct very early on to know this, as did Ringo and all these other drummers I mentioned, you know, to kind of know the importance of, of creating a great song and a part, a drum part to support it, not something that was going to, um, you know, just impress a lot of drummers with uh, something technical or whatever. This song, of course, when you hear it, you'll realize there's no way to ever play anything technical in this because it would have completely ruined the song. Um, He would have got fired. But anyway, I'm going to play this last song and I'm going to thank you guys for tuning in and indulging me. Happy 82nd birthday to my hero, Charlie Watts. Um, I'm glad I can do this with you guys today. If Charlie were still with us, he'd probably lose my number and uh, I wouldn't be his friend anymore if he knew I was doing this. So, (laughs) no, I'm kidding. Um, I miss him terribly. He's... I miss just, uh, you know, being able to pick up the phone and call him from time to time and just hearing his voice. Uh, that was pretty special to be able to do that. And, uh, he was very encouraging. You know, when I got back into playing drums again, he, he would always ask me how my band was doing, how I was doing, how my wife was doing and my kids and later my grandkids and, you know, really just, uh, pretty incredible that the guy that was so responsible for me becoming a drummer was actually interested in my drumming still kind of blows my mind. Um, but I'll always have that. So anyway, all right, I'm going to play this last song and uh, you're going to know what it is right away. When you hear the opening guitar lick, it's Angie from goat's head soup. It's a beautiful song. Just if you haven't already done this, just just zero in on Charlie's drumming. Just listen to what he's playing on the hi-hat. Listen to what he does to transition from the verse to the chorus. He plays the ride cymbal in certain places. What he plays on the hi-hat to accent the vocal. Um, it's beautiful. It really is. He's he's playing to the vocal. He's playing to the song. It's It's just fantastic. So check it out. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. Just beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. You know, um, I could go on and on obviously about Charlie all day long. So, uh, we've gone longer than I thought we would. (laughs) I appreciate you guys hanging in there. I guess it was all that great music I played that kept you here. So I appreciate that. Um, all right, so stay tuned for a future episode of Live from My Drum Room and Track Talk coming soon. And um, really appreciate you guys hanging in there with me today. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, podcast channels, and um, I'll see you all real soon. Again, thanks for watching. See you soon. That's my show. Thanks for watching, everybody. Track Talk, Charlie Watch, Style and Analysis. I'll see you again real soon with another episode of Live From My Drum Room and Track Talk. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. And remember, no drummers are ever harmed on Track Talk or Live From My Drum Room. And when in doubt,
1: leave it out. See you soon. Thanks again for watching.